this, you can see the corroding, corrupting effect of false gospel teaching and the value of true gospel teaching to stand firm and build people up to be strong in faith and in in the love of God. So we've got to remember who gave us the word, apostles. Jesus appointed gospel messengers. One of the main tests in the early church for determining what we call the canon of the Bible, the canon of scripture, particularly the New Testament, was that the, the book had to be either written by an apostle or a close associate ministry worker of an apostle. So Mark worked with Peter and, and, and Luke. You know, you know, these, these are guys who were close to the apostles. And then others, like Paul himself, wrote half the New Testament. And you've got John and you've got Matthew. They'd been with Jesus And even though Paul had not been with Jesus during his earthly ministry of three years, he had had an amazing call on the Damascus Road where Christ revealed himself in an overwhelming way. And and the message of the truth and reality of Christ was burned so deeply within him that it was done with blinding efficiency. And it was done with life-changing, transforming power into his life. So when the church assembled these books of the New Testament, the criteria they used was apostolic authority. And that's what Jude, who is the brother of James, both of whom were half-brothers to Jesus, was saying. He's saying, stick close to that message of the apostles. Stick close to what those authorised messengers of Jesus had to say. And listen what Paul says to the Galatians. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. That's strong language, isn't it? He's saying stick close to that message that was delivered. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. Remember what they said. They prophesied that false teachers would come, and I've mentioned that in the book of Acts. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. Now that's, it, we've, we see it happening these days too. All down through church history, it's happened where people have been more enamoured, more encouraged and desirous of having a personal following than themselves being followers of Jesus. And they've drawn people away from following Jesus to following themselves. And it leads people up the garden path. It leads them up 
the creek with no paddle. They, they lose the power of the gospel, they lose the hope and joy of Christ, and they, they find themselves following someone who is fallible rather than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is infallible. And remember what they said in verse 19, these are the men who divide you, who follow natural instincts, mere natural instincts, and do not have the spirit. They do not have the spirit. Because if they had the spirit, they would be full of love for Christ and pointing people to Jesus, not to themselves. They think they have a deeper knowledge of the word than apostles and their real motivation is to lead in such a way as to cultivate a personal following, hero worship for themselves. They do not have the spirit. The English Standard Version puts it powerfully. It says they are devoid of the spirit, empty of the spirit. The spirit is not in them and you can hear an empty echo, no spirit. Many people cannot discern the difference between spirit-filled ministry and empty ministry that is not spirit-filled but soulish. And what is the difference and how do you distinguish the difference? I think we've already been given an indication but if we're in any doubt, think of what Hebrews 4 verse 12 says. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces or distinguishes between joints and marrow, soul and spirit, and distinguishes the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God. If they do not speak according to the word of the Lord, according to the word of God, don't listen to them. If we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than the one you've heard, don't listen Don't listen because you can be led astray. They might speak with eloquence. They might have just the most amazing fluency of speech and and they might be able to do miracles. And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you, to false teachers. Remember the warning that he gave? And they, they, they're going to say on the last day, but Lord, didn't we do many mighty miracles in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness, for it's not according to the word of God. So eloquence of speech, uh, appearance and charisma, ability to influence or build an empire and get things done, achieve and do amazing things, they are not the criteria. Do they speak according to this word? If they don't, don't follow. Don't give them the time of day. And you'll save yourself a lot of heartache. So, so remember the word. Remember the warnings. Think about that apostolic litmus test of the gospel. And build yourselves up in that true gospel. That's what he's saying in verses 20 and 21. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Remember, it's God who brings us all the way home. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, God in the gospel brings us home. 
to bring you to eternal life. It's like you're being carried along. And it's true. So it's not being carried along by, by an amazing teacher. It's being carried along by the Spirit of God who is the witness and the teacher of the true gospel. And so we're to follow in that way. Building ourselves up is important. The foundation on which we build is the gospel. The finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. The truth of God's eternal son, Jesus Christ. That he was born. That he lived. That he suffered. That he died and was buried. Truly buried. Three days in the grave. He rose again on the third day. And he ascended to heaven where he's been coronated. He's been crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. Declared to be the son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. That's the message that is to go deep into our spirit. We're to build ourselves up in that message. Build ourselves up in the hope and the confidence that we have in Jesus. Not self-confidence, but that, that I am accepted with all my warts and spots and wrinkles because of the finished work that shed blood and that perfect life of Jesus Christ. God accepts me in Jesus' name. I'm acceptable to the Father because the Son has done all things well and did only those things that please his Father and God receives me in Christ. That's the hope of the gospel. If we take a stand in that, there's a way of becoming strong in it. Paul urges us, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God. So put on that righteousness of Christ, that truth of Christ, that breastplate of Christ's righteousness. Wear it proudly. And the shoes of the gospel of peace, the hope that we have in Jesus, let that be what leads you through life. And he's saying as you do these things, you're building yourselves up in your faith. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Listen to the word of God. Memorise the word of God. Listen to gospel truth sung. Listen to good songs that that build us up. Listen to music that's edifying and, and, and encouraging in the faith. So these are ways we can build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Some of the obvious things we can do are have a daily quiet time, just just time with the Lord in the Word each day. It's not a religious thing we do to for brownie points. It's because we want to remain in Him. Abide in me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you'll ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. So so here's the hope that we have. Jesus is the gospel. He is the gospel. He is the good news. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, says Paul to the Corinthians in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3. But as worldly, mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready, but you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? And are you not acting like mere mortals, mere men? 
By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. Christ alone, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus is the gospel. Build yourselves up in the gospel, in the knowledge and love of Christ. And pray in the Holy Spirit. The power for building comes from God's Spirit. And we find the supply of God's Spirit seems to especially come in prayer. In prayer. Often when we're not experiencing much of the power of God, there may have been some prayerlessness It may have been just taking things for granted. That in prayer we humble ourselves before God, we draw near to him and he draws near to us. The unmistakable evidence of that is his presence, his spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is much that is made of Christ and his gospel. There's a glorying in Christ Jesus and putting no confidence in ourselves. And, and prayer is a way of just drawing near to God and allowing that Abba Spirit of God to just percolate through our heart. Abba Father, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all these sorts of things come out in praise and adoration as we draw near to God in prayer through his word. Now, one, one quick question. There'll be, there'll be some churches will teach that what this is saying is you must speak in tongues. I'm not trying to pick on, on churches. I'm, I'm just saying there's an interpretation here that if you were to pray in the Holy Spirit, that equals praying in tongues. Now, it may, if there, there is a, a valid place for tongues, But it also may not. In fact, I think not. Why? Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. That, That admits no exceptions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. So we should always pray in the Spirit. Now, if that in the spirit equals speaking in tongues, it would mean we should only ever pray in tongues. But that can't be right. And do all speak in tongues? The answer is no. Cannot be. So it mustn't it can't possibly mean that that he's teaching that we must speak in tongues. He's saying, pray in the fullness of the Spirit with a heart that's touched by the Spirit of God, a heart that's in tune with the things of God. That's how we should always pray. And when we're not feeling like that, we should draw near to God and say, oh, Lord, fill me afresh with your love. Encourage me. Help me draw near to you because I feel that I've grown dry and weary. I'm in a barren place. Just encourage me, Lord. And he will hear a prayer like that as you humble yourself before him. So it, it means keep yourselves saved. 
keep yourselves in the salvation that we have in Christ, not saved as in we save ourselves, but keep yourselves in the love of Christ, appreciative of, of what he's done and who he is. Keep yourselves in God's love. He's assured them that they're kept by Jesus Christ. We're kept by Jesus Christ. Verse 1 of Jude tells us that. But we are also to keep ourselves in the love of God and, and praying the Holy Spirit. So continue in Jesus' love. And what does that look like, to continue in Jesus' love? Well, I think the, the best analogy is probably marriage. If When a couple commit to one another, or you could take friendship if you're single... If, if you're really committed, you have a, a, a bosom buddy, you have someone that you're really good friends with, you do life together. You share your heart and soul and there's a sense of, I understand you, you understand me, we're in this through thick and thin. There's a commitment, there's a commitment basis and you'll draw alongside one another. And this is covenantally true in marriage. You actually covenant to do that for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Marriage is the ultimate covenantal commitment to draw alongside of someone and be on the same page with them and say, I am committed to you and what you stand for. So what does it mean to keep ourselves in God's love? I think it means that we are to, to be utterly committed to drawing alongside of the Father as he is drawn alongside of us through his Son and by his Spirit. Drawing near to God and he will draw near to us. There's a reciprocal, a give and take relationship here and it involves keeping ourselves pure and true just like marriage partners keep themselves for one another. Forsaking all others, I take you. To keep yourself in the love of God is, is to forsake other loves and keep yourself wedded to Christ. Keep yourself looking to him, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. Keep building on that one foundation. Plug away at it and he will build you up in your love. So it's the fruit of Christ's obedient love springing up in our hearts. As he has first loved us, we respond and say, I love you, Lord. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Strengthen me, lead me. So as this happens, our hearts scan the heavens as we wait for the appearing of his mercy, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're building, we're praying, we're keeping, and we're waiting. We're looking for our, our bridegroom to come. Our hearts are toward him. Our lives are orientated on him. Our, our, our whole framework of living is centred on him. The gospel. Gospel-centred living. But it involves some spiritual discernment, doesn't it? Spiritual discernment. What should be the attitude of the growing Christian toward those who are being drawn away by false teaching? It's happening we could pay all this attention to ourselves, keep ourselves and you know, build, pray, keep, wait, while the world goes to hell in a handbasket, as they say. That's not much good, is it? What's it say? On those who doubt, have mercy. 
Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the garments soiled by their sin. There's three categories of people there. Three categories. On those who doubt, have mercy. These are the doubters, the waverers. They're they're fickle. They're not yet grounded in the gospel. They're not yet firm and sure in Christ and they are subject to being tossed around by false teaching. So they're they're unstable and our responsibility is to be towards them like like little children. Have mercy on them. Recognise the state that they're in. Recognise what their needs are because if you come down hard on them, they'll probably just be just like a little child and say, okay then, well, I'm packing up my marbles and I'm going somewhere else. And they may well go after the false teacher. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Obedience and the fat of rams. It's God's kindness and mercy that leads us to repentance. So we need to be merciful toward people who are doubting and it's, it's a long journey with them. It's patience, just like bringing up a toddler, being with them and encouraging them through thick and thin. But then with other people, there's a different strategy required. A snatching others from the fire. See that word, others? Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. Like when, when your toddler is about to stick the fork into the power socket, it's not a time for, oh, be merciful. You, know? <laughs> you go, right, get up. You've got to get them away from that. I remember our, our Matthew, he's now 21, but when he was a little tacker, he got a, a um, measuring tape, a metal one, and he stuck it inside the grill of our off-peak heater and sparks and things went everywhere. And I was up one end of the room. I could see it happening. It's like in slow motion. I'm going up there and it blew the end off the, off the measuring tape. Kaboom! Sparks went everywhere. And he's just standing there. You know, what happened? What happened? You know, it, it's just so important that sometimes you've just got to snatch people out of the way, like a train is coming and it's time to just grab them out of the way. And we need the discernment to know when to be patient with doubters and when to snatch others out of the fire because they're in mortal danger. And to others, these are people really hardened, uh, to others show mercy mixed with fear, and fear means caution, Healthy caution for ourselves, lest we become trapped in their moral and doctrinal pollution. Wherever there's sin, Satan has a foothold and can go to work. So defilement spreads rapidly and secretly, and we must deal drastically with this. It's like a gangrene. Unless, unless you're just going to take some action, it'll take over. And you may need to do an amputation. You hate even the garments spoiled by the flesh. You don't hate the person, but, but you recognise drastic action is required here. We've got to intervene or, or they are just going to perish without Christ, without, without hope and without God in this world or the world to come. So these people are satanically toxic and dangerous but we care enough about them because they're human beings made in the image of God to go after them. Remember, 
Lot in Sodom. The angels took Lot by the hand and dragged him out. Said, don't look behind you. Get out of here because there's fire and brimstone going to come. That's the kind of thing with some people. And, and we, we hate everything they're doing, but we love them. And we, we want to take whatever action is needed to help get them out of the pickle they're in. It's much easier to instruct new Christians and keep them away from false teachers than to snatch them out of the fire afterwards. So it's good to have growth groups. It's good to have gospel preaching in our churches. It's good to encourage a devotional life so we can grow in healthy ways because trying to sort this out afterwards is just very difficult. It requires a deep knowledge of the word, a faithful walk with God, an understanding of Satan's devices, the fullness of God's spirit and real discernment. So we're to commit ourselves to Jesus Christ and here's the hope and the encouragement, isn't it? Verses 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from falling, present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great, great joy. Jude who's been focusing so much on the false teachers and their terrible ways and their pollute, the polluting defilement that comes gets taken up almost in a in an ecstasy of praise for Jesus. To him who's able to do more than you ask or imagine. To him who's seated on the throne. To him who's King of kings and Lord of lords. Be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. And he says, Amen. May it be so. Let it be so. And he finishes his letter with this, this gospel-centred hope that as we are to keep ourselves in the love of God, be encouraged that God's even more committed to keeping you. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. The NIV has falling, but the actual wording is taking a tumble. It's stumbling over. Stumbling over the rocks of false teaching, stumbling into a hole, stumbling into the darkness because you're removed from the light of the gospel. And he is able to keep us on track. It doesn't have to be that we go astray. It doesn't have to be. So as we conclude, honesty compels me to say that I've been just so blessed by Warren Wearsby's commentary on this today. It, it has blessed me enormously. I haven't just preached what he said, but there's a fair amount of it, and, and I've, it's rung true to me. But, but the real thing that, I, that all of us need to take on board is not what Warren Wearsby said, or John Calvin, or the Heidelberg Catechism, or anyone else, but what does God's word say? What are the scriptures revealing to us and are we committed to following that teaching? Will we keep ourselves on track with the good word of the Lord, with the good oil of the gospel, with the living water of a living faith? Or are we going to let ourselves drift? The real test is what we do with what we know. It's what we do with what we know.
That's what Jude's saying. To him, to him, he's able to you know, keep waiting for him to bring you to eternal life. Have the confidence he who's begun a good work and you will complete it. Keep hanging in there, trusting him. And when, when all around your soul gives way, you've got to trust, you've got to believe he is all your hope and stay. He will bring you home. And if, you, if you're failing to really hear that, get alongside of someone else and say to them, tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. The early dew of mornings passed away at noon. I need to hear it again. Hit me with the gospel. Tell me the good news. Remind me of the love of Christ. Read a biography. Read the scriptures. Take hope into your heart from wherever you possibly can. True gospel hope. Take it to heart and ground yourself in it. The real test is what you do with what you know. Will you and I reach out to those who are trapped and enslaved in sin because we're secure knowing how deeply loved we are by Christ? The more firm we are, grounded in the knowledge and love of Christ, the more confident we can be to go out that God is for us, so who can be against us? With my God, I can run through a troop, I can leap over a wall, and we can snatch people from the burning. And we can reach out to the doubting and be merciful with them, go the second mile. But we've got to keep ourselves in God's love, lest after we preach to others, we ourselves be castaways. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you're an amazing God who loves us so dearly. We just, our hearts are overflowing with encouragement, Lord, that you so loved this world, you gave your one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We thank you that you've put your spirit into us, the spirit of Christ, the Abba spirit, Abba Father spirit. And that we, your spirit bears witness with our spirit when we're born again that we belong to you. We are your children. And your word is a personal word to our heart. And it's sometimes a hard word of discipline, but it's all done out of love as you keep us on track, walking with you through the minefield of life, through the valleys, over the mountaintops, down into the woods and the twisting turns and ways that we take in life, and that you're with us through thick and thin. Blessed be you, our God. Thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. May we keep ourselves on track with you, and knowing that underneath are the everlasting arms, that you will lift us up when we feel so discouraged and so helpless, that you are greater than our hearts, even if our hearts condemn us. Blessed be our God. In your name we pray. Amen.